Good morning. <laughs> you made it to church. Way to go. The great San Diego typhoon is over. Uh, my name's Kendall. I'm our executive pastor here, and just want to warmly welcome you to All Peoples again. Uh, pastor Robert is away this week in the country of Scotland, so he is there, and uh, he is uh, helping with some churches that have just joined our family of churches. Uh, Joe Ewan, you might know him, so he's there with Joe and others, and so he's having a great time, but it's probably raining there too, so don't be too jealous. Um, always rains in Scotland, so... Uh, we're continuing our With Jesus series this morning, uh, specifically on the topic of Jesus and the Bible. I want to start with a quick story. Uh, in 2008, my wife and I, we were getting ready to move to San Diego, and we had been through a church planting training process. And the last portion of our training was to go on an overseas outreach to India. And we were going to have a church planting kind of hands-on practicum. And uh, just pause message, begin commercial. You got to come to Mexico. Um, Short-term mission trips are very, very powerful for two reasons. First of all, they change your heart. They change your life. Um, I, I remember uh, the first short-term mission trip I went on with, with a church like ours. It was to Juarez, Mexico. I'd never told anybody about Jesus before. We, we got off on the bus, and we went to a park to tell people about Jesus. And I saw these two guys way off on a gazebo. And I went to go talk to them, and they were both clowns, okay, like full-out clowns, like the weird wigs, the bozo noses, the whole thing. And I started to share with them, one clown was a Christian who had been praying for the other clown to meet Jesus. You can't make this stuff up. And this clown gave his life to Jesus. He's crying, the clown makeup streaming down his face, okay? So you may think, I don't have anything to offer on a mission trip. Well, God uses the foolish things. I have a great story to tell you that, okay? Uh, but also, God does so much in our heart. It's also like a church retreat. We just get away and enjoy being together. So, and if, even if you don't come on the trip, you can still have a churro after church. So enjoy, enjoy that. Okay, end of commercial, back to India. So we were on this trip to India, and honestly, it's, it's like the Bible has come to life. We're, we're seeing many, many people make first-time decisions to follow Jesus. We're seeing God heal people, God transform people's lives, but we know we're just going to be there for a little time, and so we feel this sense of urgency to give people resources to help them in their walk with God, and what we wanted was every person we met with that had given their life to Jesus to have a Bible in their language. Now, in India, people speak a lot of different languages, so we needed a lot of different kinds of Bibles. So as we went across town, we couldn't find any bookstore or anything that had these things, but eventually we heard about this Bible society. And so one day we set aside to go to this Bible society. And as we went to the Bible Society, we, we were in the busiest street on our city in India uh, called Mahatma Gandhi Road, the busy, busiest street. And this is the street the whole city had been built around. So there's big glass and steel, new buildings, there was shanty towns, animals in the street, people everywhere, very busy scene. And at the end of this street, there's the old gate of the city, which was about 100 years old or so. And next to that gate, kind of the cornerstone of the gate of the whole construction of the city was this old stone building with huge stone blocks, like two by three feet, and it said Bible Society. And so we go into the Bible Society, and we get to know the people. They're so warm. They're so excited about what God's doing in their city. And it was awesome. They gave us all of these free resources just to, just to give away to all the people around, around their city. On the way out, I saw a plaque that said India Bible Society. Now, the, the reason I share this story, it's very symbolic or representative of the place that our Bible has in our culture today. So much like this Bible society was kind of the cornerstone of the gate of the city, our, our society, I don't know if you know this, is founded on biblical principles. The, the founding fathers of our nation, they were all students of the Bible. You can go read their letters. You can go read how they were speaking to each other using Bible verses. The Bible is the cornerstone of uh, even economic prosperity. There was a guy who wrote a book all about um, cultures that embrace biblical teaching are more prosperous. So the, the Bible is the cornerstone of our society, and everything in our society is built on the foundational truths we see in Scripture. But going into this Bible society, it was such a contrast because the street was so busy, people, animals, kids everywhere, there was nobody in there. You know, this, this little building, it, it had the power to change so many people's lives by distributing the Word of God, but the people were not accessing it. 
It's very representative of our society today. This Bible society was actually used in, in world history to end slavery in, in India and had various uh, impacts in society. But, but to me, that, that, that this little outpost, this little Bible society, it's so representative of our culture today. Did you know uh, the average American household has 4.4 Bibles in it? So you can think through your house right now and find 4.4 Bibles in your mind, okay? So your house probably has somewhere around there Bibles in it. The average Bible will be read only three times this year. So there again, we, we see this potential of the Word of God, this potential of truth, of transformation that we have in the Bible. But much like this Bible society, people are not accessing it. They aren't going to the Bible uh, to, be, to be transformed. And so that brings us to our topic today, Jesus and the Bible. We've been talking through this With Jesus series, various uh, stories from Jesus's life in the gospel. And today my heart, today my goal is to equip you how to meet Jesus yourself through the scriptures. So are you down for it? Great, pray with me, church. Okay, Father, right now I pray you'd open our hearts to your word. And I just pray a few scriptures right now from Psalm 119, Lord. Thank you that the unfolding of your word brings light. God, just enlighten our hearts right now. God, bring spiritual light, revelation into us, Lord. Thank you that Psalm 119 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Lord, purify us with your word right now. Just wash us clean, Lord. Thank you that the law of the Lord is perfect, the Bible says, reviving the soul. I ask for revivals of souls, just even this morning, just a revival of passion, a revival of purpose, Lord, as we hunger and afresh to meet you through your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in Luke 24, this With Jesus series. Like I said, we've been talking through different stories in Jesus' life, and the story we're going to talk about today is in Luke 24. We're going to start in verse 13, and the New Living Translation version, you can look at it in your translation. Verse 13, it says this, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened. So this is a great verse because this gives us the context for what we're about to read. It starts with the phrase, that same day. What day was that? That day was Easter Sunday. So earlier in Luke 24, we see the story of the empty tomb, of Jesus rising from the dead. And that same day, these disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem and they're on their way. And just before we move any forward, because the context of this passage is very important, there's just something I want to tell you. That same day, this is the day that Jesus raised himself from the dead. So Jesus really did die on a cross. He did it for all the sins of mankind. He really was buried. He really did come back to life. And then the Bible says he ascended to the Father and now is seated in heaven, and he's going to come again. So that's the story of Jesus. And if you've never maybe given your whole heart to Jesus or said yes to following him, understanding that he was the sacrifice to your sins, understanding that he was the only way to eternal life, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you an opportunity. So you can just begin to let God stir on your heart, and if that applies to you, you're going to have a time to respond at the end. But for the rest of us, Luke 24 says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem, about a day's walk. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. Now, something very interesting is going to happen as these disciples are talking. Jesus is going to appear right there on the road. He's just gonna show up, kind of some kind of Jesus Jedi move, okay? He's just gonna show up on the road, but in an even more Jedi-like way, he is going to conceal his identity. So he's gonna walk next to them as a stranger they don't know, and they're gonna begin to interact with him. We're gonna see their conversation. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus concealed his identity. He asked him, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? I bet Jesus had a great time with this. You know, so what are you guys talking about? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened there in the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. He's, this is just getting better for Jesus. He's just waiting for him to talk about it. 
the things that happened to Jesus. The man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and our other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Okay, so one thing you see here immediately is the disciples are dealing with major disappointment. How do we know that? They're talking about Jesus in the past tense. Okay, say, he was a prophet. He was a mighty, te- a mighty teacher. We had hoped he was the Messiah. So the reason these disciples are leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus, is because they're done with Jesus. They're done following Jesus. They think Jesus is gone. They think Jesus is dead. And Jesus is about to surprise them. <laughs> it's gonna be awesome. And of course, they're talking about his crucifixion, the Last Supper, his death. They're talking through these different events. And then they begin to share they're perplexed by the stories they're hearing that Jesus has come back to life. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning. They came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. That's a good day at church. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. So what we're going to see now is a conversation. Jesus has been listening, and now he's going to respond. They still don't know he's Jesus. Don't forget, he's got a Jesus Jedi move going on. But he is going to respond, and he's going to start teaching the disciples. Then Jesus said, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe that all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining them from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. It says, Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining to them from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Maybe a subtitle of this message could be, the greatest sermon ever preached. It's not my sermon, it's his sermon. Jesus walking down the road with his disciples, teaching them through all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Who knows what he said? I'm sure it was a a powerful time as God was stirring their hearts, and we're gonna see about that, but this leads us to our first point today, which is this. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The Bible is useful for a lot of different things. Uh, There's marriage help, financial principles, thoughts on health, thoughts on governments. But ultimately, when you look at the Bible, it's, it's a collection of stories. My kids love Bible stories. One of the favorite stories at our house is the story of Jonah. Any Jonah fans out there? Okay, it's got a whale in it, it's awesome. Okay, so this is how we do it at my house. I got two boys and they share a room. So one boy's bed is the ship, the other boy's bed is Nineveh, and I'm the whale in the middle of the room. And they try to get back and forth, and you know, we have this whole interplay. Anyway, I don't know how biblical it is, you know, but hey, we had a good time. We also do David and Goliath, and you know, they throw stones at me and knock me out, and of course I have to be Goliath. So. We love these stories. But really, even beyond the individual stories, right, the Bible is one big story. It's one big story that that points eventually to Jesus, to his coming, his death, his resurrection, his return. Many Bible scholars uh, have described the Bible as a four-act play. So the story of the Bible is a four-act play. We're going to go through that now for a minute. Um, and, and during this message, you're going to get a few things. You're going to get some passionate stirring in your heart to meet Jesus in the Bible. You're going to get some basic Bible knowledge. And I'm also going to teach some ba- basic Bible doctrine during this time. So there's a little something for everybody. So this is some basic Bible knowledge for you. Act one of the Bible is creation. Look at your neighbor say, creation. Okay, you can probably guess what book of the Bible creation is in. It's Genesis, right? That's when God creates the world. And I think this is how Jesus would have walked with his disciples, because Jesus was a great storyteller, right? He was always talking to people, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or it's like this guy that bought a field, or this tree. He, Jesus loved to tell stories. And I think as he was sharing how all the scriptures point to himself, he probably would have told a story. And I think act one would have been about creation. I think he would talk through the creation story, Talk about how in the beginning there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God from the beginning. I talk about how, yeah, the, the Messiah, Jesus, he was there before the, before the beginning of the world. And then I think he would have talked about how the, how the world was created. And then maybe how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they got together in heaven. They said, yeah, let's make man in our image. That's probably a cool conversation to be a part of. I think he would have talked about nature, how it reflects the glory of God. He probably would have pointed around to Israel and as they were walking, pointed out different things. Maybe he would have talked about heaven, creation. The next I think Jesus would have talked about the next act in the four-part saga, he would have talked about the fall. Of course, every story has ups and downs. And he would have talked about the fall. He would have talked about sin. He would have talked about evil. I think we've talked about the devil, where the devil came from, how evil originated, how Adam and Eve were tempted to sin, and then he would have talked about the effects of that sin, how that has really negatively affected every attribute of our life, our relationships, our society, our work. He would have gone through and and talked about the fall. And, And then I think Jesus would have moved to redemption. I think he probably spent the most time on redemption. One thing that's fascinating is the Bible kind of gives us some whispers about how even before the world was created, the Father knew that men would fall. And it was predecided that Jesus would die to be the hope of all humanity. 1 Peter 1 verse 20, just, just listen as I read this. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Revelation 13, 6, the lamb who was slain before the creation, before the foundation of the world. I think Jesus would have begun to unfold God's plan for redemption. He would have talked about that. I think he would have moved on. He would have talked about Abraham and how how God chose Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and chose to bless him so that all peoples of the earth would be blessed. And then he would talk about how Abraham was given a family, and that family became a great nation, the nation of Israel, and how he intended to come and rule and reign and use that nation to establish his kingdom on the earth. I think he would have shown this this thread of redemption all throughout the scriptures that points to the power of his blood. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, kind of the first sign of redemption In the Bible, right after Adam and Eve, right after they sin, right after God's heart is broken, their very first mistake, what does God do? It says he made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. How do you make a garment of skin? You have to kill an animal. It's the first blood sacrifice. And we see that all throughout the Bible, the foreshadowing of the sacrifice that Jesus would have for us to redeem all people. Amen. And then Acts 4, I think he would have talked about restoration. He probably would have read scriptures like, Like Isaiah 66, verse 18 says this, and I, because of what they have planned and done, am about to come, speaking of his second coming, am about to come and gather the people of all nations and languages, and they will come and see my glory. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. And I think Jesus would have gone through the scriptures and shown how they point to him. This is really important in our culture today. And I think why this message might be important for you, because there's so much in our culture today that actually talks against, downplays, denigrates the power of the Bible. You know, every time you turn on the TV, there's something on the History Channel about how this book of the Bible was made up, or this thing isn't really true. There's all these, you know, investigative reporting going on. But the Bible says the Word of God stands forever. Amen? So what we see is there's actually three false teachings in our culture today. You might want to write these down. That, that are taking away from the power of the Bible. Here's the first one, universalism. Universalism, this is what universalism, in summary, in terms of the Bible says, there are a lot of holy books of which the Bible is just one. Maybe you've been talking to a friend and you've encouraged them to read the Bible, a friend at work, a friend your family, oh yeah, I read the Bible, I also read this book and this kind of new age author and this thing, all those things are inspiring, that's awesome. The problem with that is that Once you read the Bible, you realize that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is pretty exclusive in his presentation of truth. So that that can't be true if we walk in biblical reality. The next one has a fancy name. It's Marcionism, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, Marcionism. And that's basically the belief that the New Testament is from God, but the Old Testament isn't. 
Maybe you've seen or heard some teachings like this just in your Christian walk. Hey, yeah, the New Testament, I'm all about that, but that Old Testament, I don't know. And you know what? If you've ever done an annual Bible reading program, you've probably had this experience. You start in Genesis, right? You're like, Genesis, awesome. Seven days, got it. And then you start moving through Genesis. There's a movie about Noah, so you're good on that. Okay, actually, I haven't seen that movie, but there's a movie on Noah, and then kind of get to Abraham, Joseph. His life is kind of easy to understand. Okay, moving to Exodus. I know you've seen that movie, the movie on Exodus, so we're good on that. Okay, moving through Exodus, and then it's kind of all of a sudden, you lost me at Leviticus, right? <laughs> we start getting into these laws, these codes, these regulations. It's totally confusing. Yeah, there are some hard to understand things in the Old Testament, but, but think about it. When Jesus preached this sermon in Luke 24, when he explained all the things regarding all the scriptures concerning himself, there wasn't a New Testament yet. We're reading the conversation that was written about that. And so the whole Old Testament also contains the story of God, so we can't just write it off. And here's maybe the third false teaching that's out there in our culture today. It's legalism. So some people read the Old Testament. They read all these different rules and regulations, and they become overwhelmed, and they, and they say everyone has to obey these things. That's pretty hard to do. It's actually so hard to do that the nation of Israel couldn't do it. That's why Jesus came. So the whole purpose of these complicated rules and regulations in the Old Testament is to reveal our need for Jesus. The story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. The whole Bible demonstrates the restoration and redemption that God planned to bring through Jesus. You know, in our culture, there's so many different thoughts and opinions on the Bible. And uh, th there was something that happened a few weeks ago, the National Prayer Breakfast. And don't worry, this is not going to be a political statement. So just let your guard down, okay? Um, nervous chuckling went through the crowd. So um, National Prayer Breakfast, this is a big event where people come together. And although it's called a prayer breakfast, people really don't pray. It's more like messages and talking. And people come from all over the world, famous sheiks, uh, the followers of Islam, fam famous rabbis, followers of Judaism, people that are involved in different religions, different cultures. And they all come together to kind of talk about God. And they're talking about God. They're talking about all the holy books, all the different things that are out in our society. But it's very bold in a situation like this to stand up firmly for the name of Jesus. And um, there, there was a message this year that was really impacting. Uh, a, a man stood up and he began to share his story of the Bible. It relates perfectly to what we're talking about this morning. He talked about his story of the Bible, how, how God used the Bible early in his life to shape his heart, shape his spiritual formation, how he met Jesus through the Bible, and how the whole Bible... Uh, points, the whole story of the Bible is the story of Jesus. And what you're going to see at the end of this message is just kind of how the atmosphere changes in the room as this guy begins to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. And someone who was there said at the end of his time, people were just standing up all over the room, sheiks and rabbis and people from all over the world, just because the name of Jesus changes the atmosphere. Amen? So just begin to watch this. I think you're really going to enjoy it as we just reflect on the power of the story of Jesus through the Bible. My mother motivated my siblings and me to study the Word of God. She provided us with a monetary incentive, five cents for every verse you memorized. So if you would enter our domicile, you would find my siblings and me searching the Word of God for short Bible verses. <laughs> I know every short Bible verse in the book, okay? My favorite Bible verse is not John 3.16, it is John 11.35. Jesus wept. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. I love Luke 17.32, remember Lot's wife. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. First Thessalonians 5 is a treasure trove. Quench not the spirit. Rejoice evermore. In everything give thanks. Despise not prophesying. In fact, I was, I was doing my riff on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and my mother put me on a flat rate. She said, hold it, hold it, hold it. I don't care how much you memorize, you're only going to get a quarter, okay? All right. But my mother knew what she was doing. One day, I memorized 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I was only 10 years of age. It says, and we are 
redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And even at 10, I had sufficient analytical skills to know that the value of an object is based upon the price someone is willing to pay. And when it dawned on me, little, little guy in the inner city, that God sent what John 3 calls in the Greek the monogenes, the only one of its kind, his only begotten son to die for me. No one was ever able to make me feel inferior again. Moreover, moreover, I just, I said, I got to get to know this man who died for me. So now it was not just for the nickels that I started reading the word. It was to try to find this man. And, and as I searched the scriptures, I, I, it was like a, a, a Zeffirelli movie with the man with no name. I, I, I kept finding him in, in Genesis, he Shiloh. In Exodus, he's the I am. In Numbers, he's the star and scepter. In Deuteronomy, he's the rock. In First Samuel, he's the Lord of hosts. In Job, he is the redeemer. In Psalms, he is the great shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the beloved. I kept running into that man. And Isaiah, he's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Micah, he is the one who's going forth of old, is from everlasting to everlasting. In Zechariah, he is the branch. In Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. Matthew calls him savior. Mark calls him son of man. Luke calls him the great physician. John calls him the word made flesh. Acts says he is the one who will mobilize us to witness. Philippians says God has exalted him so that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First Thessalonians says he is the one who will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and Jude says he's able to keep me without stumbling or slipping and present me without fault, without blemish before the presence of his glory with unspeakable ecstatic delight in triumphant joy and exultation. And John said... I was in the spirit on the Lord's day on that isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. I saw him high and lifted up. He is Alpha. He's Omega. He is beginning. He is ending. And so because I kept meeting that man, my hope does not rest in the various branches of government, executive, legislative or judicial my hope does not rest in the alliances that we build my testimony is simply this my hope is built on nothing less than jesus's blood and righteousness i cannot trust the sweetest flame but only lean on jesus's name come on that's on awesome christ Yes. The solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. Man, what he said. <laughs> Are you convinced that the story of the Bible is the story of Jesus, church? <laughs> hey, let me, let me move to my next point here down Luke 24. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus. At the end of their journey, they walked about a day. Jesus asked if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened 
and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. (laughs) They said to each other, here's our key verse, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? That's awesome. Yes, the Bible is the story of Jesus, but it's actually more than that. It's an invitation to encounter Jesus. The Bible is an invitation to encounter Jesus, and I don't just mean an invitation maybe to to meet Jesus for the first time and be saved, although it is that. I don't necessarily mean an invitation at the end of a service, although the Bible can be used for that. The Bible is an open invitation that's waiting in your house and your life every day for you to encounter Jesus. What happened with these disciples? It says their hearts were burning within us. God wants to give you a burning heart. I think it's really interesting how Jesus interacts with his disciples here. They're walking along the road, kind of getting to the end at the end of the day. And he says, I'm going to keep going, guys. You guys, see you later. And they beg him, stay the night with us, it's getting late. So he goes home with them. And then they sit down to eat, and he took the bread and blessed it. That's symbolic. Breaking bread in the Bible is always symbolic of fellowship. So this is a really interesting story because Jesus tests the hunger of his disciples. They're walking down the road. He's explaining the scriptures to them. And he's like, hey, I'm going to go on. And they're like, no, wait, we got to have more. Psalm 42 When can I go and meet with God? That's the kind of hunger that God wants us to have in this church. He wants us to be people that are so hungry to meet with God. God, how can I get more time? Lord, just don't don't move on from this place. Continue to speak to me. Continue to fill me, God. Continue to stir my heart. This is what it means to read the Bible, not just for information, but, but for transformation. God wants to transform our hearts with his word, this is what Isaiah said, is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord. God wants to put his word like a fire in our hearts. Transform us, transform other people. The Bible is the key to spiritual growth, not because of the principles in it, although that's true, but because it's a platform for meeting the author. It's an invitation to encounter Jesus. So, Yeah, I just want to end my time this morning with some practical thoughts. How do we actually encounter Jesus while we're reading the Bible? Are you ready for this? So this is one of those times as a church where we're giving practical tools for your devotional life so that when you go Monday morning, it can be different for you. You can go, okay, this is how I'm going to meet with God tomorrow morning. Okay, so some practical tools on how you can use the Bible to encounter Jesus. First of all, have faith that God uses the Bible. (laughs) Amen? Have faith that God uses the Bible. There's power in the written word of God. There's power in the word of God. You know, the Bible says his word does not return void in Isaiah 55. Our culture is constantly trying to to push the Bible out of the public square, but it's the very thing that's needed for people to stand on in uncertain times. You know, some beliefs you want to have about the Bible. The Bible is infallible, so it's never... Well, the Bible is inerrant. It's never wrong. The Bible is infallible. God has preserved it without defect. You know, uh, the Bible has integrity. I have a slide here. It's, it's got a, a picture of some ancient texts. And as you look at these texts, what you're going to see is you're going to see how the Bible has been supernaturally preserved by God over time compared to other things that were written about the same time. There's more copies uh, from, from antiquity. There's things are written closer together. God has supernaturally preserved his word. You can research that more in Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Christ, if you're interested. But the reason I bring that up is because sometimes we, we lose faith when we think about the Bible. But if God had the power to send his son from heaven to earth to die on the cross for the sin of all mankind, don't you think he has the power to protect one book? Amen. Yeah, and not just one book, 66 books written by over 40 authors put together to say the same message, the message of redemption, a message of hope for all humanity. Have faith that God uses the Bible. I had a dream recently. I was just sitting in a coffee shop reading, reading my Bible, and someone came up, and they tried to steal my Bible from me. 
I said, no way. <laughs> and we had a little altercation there in my dream. But many times the enemy will come into your life and try to steal from the word that God is planting in. But God wants to plant it in your heart so it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Run to the scriptures when you're in trouble. That's my next principle. Run to the scriptures when you're in trouble. We know we should do this because this is what Jesus did. When he went on his little 40-day camping trip without food in the desert, he was visited by an unwelcome friend, Satan, Satan, the enemy, who tempted him. And how did Jesus respond? It is, it is, Jesus, when he was in trouble, he went to the word of God. Recently, I had just a very, very hard day, and I don't have time to get into the details of it, except it was just a day that was full of spiritual warfare. It was very challenging. At the end of the day that night, it got even worse. We were awoken every 15 minutes from 11.30 to 2.30 a.m. Like, I just felt like I was losing my mind, you know, just exhausted, dealing with children, other things going on around our house. It was very, very challenging. And so in the middle of the night, I finally just got up and said, I don't know what to do. I'm falling asleep, uh, but I, I keep getting woken up. I'm just going to stand up and read the Bible until God speaks to me. And I didn't know where to start, so I just opened up to the Psalms because I thought, well, David had some bad days. So, um, and then finally I landed on Psalm 127. And I'm just going to demonstrate for you how I did this in a time of trouble. You know, the, the, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, stand firm in the evil day. Sometimes there's just evil days in our life. We have to stand firm on the word of God. Psalm 127, I just began to read this out loud. I said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God, you've got to come build the house of my family. Lord, you've got to come establish us. We've built our life on your word. It's an unshakable foundation, Lord. You said that those who built your life on their word would not be shaken. Lord, thank you that I've received from you a kingdom that will not be shaken. Lord, the Lord, unless the Lord builds the house, Lord God, thank you that you're a master builder. Lord, you're teaching us how to build a life. Lord, thank you that you're building your church, Lord. All over the city, even right now, at 2 in the morning, Lord, I just declare you're building your church. You're speaking to people in dreams, God. You're touching people's lives right now. You're pulling people out of sin. Those who build it labor in vain. God, I repent of any way I've built in my own strength. Lord, just let me rely on your strength. I receive the joy of the Lord right now because the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. In this time of anxiety, in this time of insomnia, I receive the joy of the Lord right now. And then I just move to verse 2. It's vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. God, I ask right now, your word says you give your beloved sleep. I call forth rest on my house right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that you love me and I'm your beloved, so therefore I can go to sleep. So I break every curse of insomnia coming against my house right now in the name of Jesus. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. God, I thank you that my children are a reward from you. There's been some challenges today. There's been some crazy circumstances. God, I choose to view my children as a reward. I bless them right now. I speak identity over each of them, God. You named them, and then I'd say their names, and then I'd speak words that God's given me over them, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Lord, thank you that you're shaping my children into powerful arrows, Lord, that you're going to ekbalo them to the nations, Lord, so that you can use them to touch people's lives powerfully for the gospel. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he disrupts, accuses, speaks with his enemies at the gates. Thank you, Lord, that you're disrupting the enemies at the gate of this city, that you're advancing your kingdom right now. And you see how the enemy, he had me awake, he was attacking me, and then it backfired because I had the word of God. So that's how you run to the scripture when you're in trouble. Okay, here's another principle. It's a really simple one. Journaling. Any journalers in here? People just love to journal. Okay, a lot of us. I'd really encourage you, every time you read the Bible, read it with a pen. Just read it in anticipation that God will speak to you. You know, right before I read the Bible, many times I just put my hands over my eyes, over my heart. I say, God, open my eyes so I can see right now what you're revealing to me in your word. It's amazing what just what that act of humility, I think, does in the spirit. It just opens up our heart to receive from God in a fresh way. Yeah, just, just journal, write things down. You never know what God might give you something. So many, so many days in the middle of a situation, in the middle of my day, and I'm like, ah. That's what God was speaking this morning. And I go back to that passage of scripture and I have something on hand right there, a solution for my problem. Journaling. Okay, here's how we're gonna close our message is the final way we encounter Jesus through the scriptures. And man, you guys can come on out. Is the lost art of biblical meditation. The lost art of biblical 
meditation. Now, sometimes when you bring up meditation in church, people can kind of get kind of weird about it. So let me, let me just explain. Uh, I know there's been a lot of meditation that's happened in a lot of different spiritual backgrounds. Richard Foster says it this way. Eastern meditation is when you empty your mind. Biblical meditation is when you fill your mind with the presence of God. And so, you know, Joshua, for example, Joshua 1, verse 8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. We want to be a people that meditate on the word of God so that we can be like these, these disciples in the book of Acts. Our hearts can burn within us so the word of God can get put deep within us and begin to transform us. Not just reading it for information. Yes, seeing Jesus in the story of the scripture, but also viewing it as an invitation to encounter him. Amen? Are you ready to do this? We're going to do this together right now. We're going to meditate on the scriptures. And actually, I have a little slide right here. Four steps to biblical meditation. This is how we're going to close our time today. The first step is prepare. So just right now in your seat, just begin to prepare your heart to be with God. Just give him any anxiety you have right now. Any distractions, you might want to close your eyes. We're going to turn the lights down. Get some nice music playing to help your heart focus. Anything you're anxious about, any, just sometimes there's even sin at the forefront of our hearts. We just need to get it out. Just confess it to God. The next thing we see preparing ourselves is place. So what that means, it's not a physical location, is using our God-given imagination. We are going to place ourselves in God's story. And the way we're going to do that is by accessing our imagination and the five senses that God's given us. So I'm going to begin to read this Luke 24 passage again. When I do that, I want you to start thinking about the five senses. Touch. What did the road feel like on the feet of the disciples? What about the table where they were sitting across from Jesus? What about the bread they broke with their hands? Taste. What did the bread taste like? What were they eating and enjoying? Sound. What was the crunch of their feet walking along that road for seven miles? What did, what did Jesus' voice sound like as he talked through the scriptures with them? What did it sound like when Jesus suddenly appeared? Whoosh. Sight. Sitting across a table from Jesus. The disciples see him break bread. And then they see that it's him. Probably hadn't seen him break bread since the Last Supper. Maybe the feeding of the 5,000. I'm going to read it in a different translation. I'll oftentimes do that as well. That very day, two of them were going down a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. You're just going to place yourself in the story right now. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what's this conversation you're holding with each other while you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, crucified him. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Some of our women amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning. When they went, they did not find his body. They came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, so slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should come suffer these things to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village where he was going. They were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, 
saying, stay with us, for it's toward the evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Prepare a place, now presence. Now just as you're in that moment, just invite the presence of God right now. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. I'm just gonna spend about one more minute. You just begin to ask Jesus questions. Jesus, what would you say to me if I was walking on that road with you? What roads am I walking down in my life right now where you want me to turn around? Where you need to explain things to me? What roads of disappointment am I on where you're wanting to encounter me? Jesus, what would you say to me I was sitting across the table from you. If we were breaking bread together. Where in my life, Jesus, sir, are you wanting to fellowship with me? But I'm not seeing you yet. Reveal yourself to me right now. yourself to me, Lord. Show me where you're at work in my life. Then what I might do is prepare, place, presence. I might move to prayer. You can just stand up with me as we close our service. Just whatever scripture in that passage probably stuck out to me the most, I would just begin to pray it. You know, and our key scripture right now is we're not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road. Would you just put your hand on your heart right now? Just begin to pray that Jesus would give you a burning heart. Just that he would use his word in your life to ignite your passion for him. Just begin to pray. No one else is listening. As we do that, there's some people I want to give an opportunity to respond to today's message. And these are those that want to meet Jesus for the first time. If that's you, you can just repeat this prayer after me never given your life to Jesus before, you want to surrender your heart to him, you can say right after me, you can just say, Jesus, I give you my heart. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, and I choose to follow you. I believe you raised from the dead to show me the way to heaven. Now fill me with your spirit. Pray that prayer for the first time. You can just wave at me real quick. I just want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. Thank you. Anybody else? It's awesome. People boldly raising their hands. That's wonderful. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Everyone, let's just put our hands on our hearts. God, give us a burning heart. Lord, let us be a people whose hearts are burning within us. Lord, I pray against every obstacle in our life that keeps us from encountering you in your word. I pray against apathy, Lord. I pray against tiredness. I pray against confusion. I pray against distractions. And I ask that you'd make us a church of burning hearts. Come on, pray with me, guys. I pray that you would set our hearts on fire with your word. Put our hearts deep inside, put your fire deep inside of our hearts, Lord. Transform us, Lord, with passion for you. Let us be a people that are stable throughout the storms of life because we are planted on your word. God, bring your word to mind at the right times in our life. And we pray that you would give us keys from your word to transform the world around us. We just declare the fire you're putting in our hearts for your word right now is spreading, Lord. It's spreading through our families, God. It's spreading through our workplaces, Lord. It's spreading through our communities, Lord. God, put your word like a fire in us in this church. In Jesus' name. Prayer team, you can come on out. We're going to pray for some people. If you
you've given your life to Jesus, I saw a few people wave at me. Please do come down. Our team wants to pray for you. You can just head down right now. Just come down with your friend that brought you. If you would like prayer for healing, we're going to officially close our service, but God has been healing people, and we'd love to pray for you. Be blessed. Have an awesome week. God bless us and keep us this week. Use your word in our lives.